I, I also want to say thank you very much to Forgiven for stepping in. Jim is on vacation today, and we'll actually be back in Clinton later today, but Forgiven led first and second service, and they're not done. They're going to be sharing with us the commitment song and then also a special to end our service. Um, I wish you could see Forgiven at Little Galilee Camp during the week of camp that Ernie and I lead. We have about 100 to 130 kids that come, fifth and sixth grade, and this year, once again, on Monday night, Forgiven will set up at the pool for our night swim. They'll be jamming to Jesus. Kids will be swimming. It, it's really probably just a little bit of a glimpse what heaven's going to look like in a lot of ways. But I appreciate them very much. Thank you for being with us. Also want to just, I, I've got a plethora of announcements. I'm just going to throw them out there. VBS sign-up continues. Really important that we get you to sign your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors. We want a lot of kids to come to VBS. We want to provide transportation, but we need to have all of our ducks in a row. So if you do not have your children or the children that you love signed up for VBS and they're planning to, uh, to attend, do it today if at all possible. If not today, next week, the sign-ups are available on the way to the Family Life Center. Um, tonight, 5.30 p.m., pray for the next generation. I know it's summer. I know it's daylight until like 9 o'clock. Um, come out for an hour. You will be blessed. Um, all we do is pray for the next generation. And I would love to have many of you partner with us. Some of you have been there every time. And I uh, would love to have a huge crowd come out tonight to really give it to the Lord for the next generation. Just a reminder, our newsletter, The K, has transitioned to a monthly publication. Our bulletin is uh, more of a newsletter format. And starting tomorrow morning, I will be publishing a Monday morning blog every week with my weekly article, along with prayer requests, events that are happening. Um, I'm going to put it on Facebook. If you don't know how to find it, see me afterwards. I'll get you pointed in the right direction. And if you have questions about this process, do not hesitate to let me know. And then I also want to say a word about Cody Monkman. Cody Monkman has been with us on Sundays for a while, but for the last two weeks, he's been with us full-time as a ministry staff assistant, helping us out in a variety of areas. He's done an awesome job. I'm so thankful for the great work that he is doing. Um, some people have asked, is he here forever? He is going to do a student teaching this fall in the Chicago area, so he'll, he'll be leaving us in mid-August. But um, he's done some things that we wanted to see happen for two or three years. He's pulled it off um, in the last couple weeks, and I'm really thankful for that. I hope that you will be very encouraging to him. Um, I know that word change is not a word that we like a lot of times. Cody um, is really doing what the leadership of this church has wanted to have happen for quite some time. One thing you can do to help, you have in your bulletin this little blue junior church volunteer opportunities. One of the things that we've known for quite some time is we kind of have a bare-bones staff when it comes to junior church, and we're wanting to put together several different teams that can assist either with the actual programming or with the sign-in, sign-out. If you fill that out, you can give it to me or leave it at the Welcome Center, give it to Karen Rice. We'd love to get teams of people helping with junior church, and through it all, I just wanted you to hear me say how thankful I am that Cody is here for the great job that he is doing. Okay, let's dive in. The month of June, a lot's happening. The kids leave, the, the high schoolers leave on Tuesday for the Dominican Republic. Next week is the Commitment Sunday for Next Steps. June 16 is the congregational meeting during both services. And then on June 17, VBS starts. That is two weeks from tomorrow, believe it or not. And we are excited to see the 250 to 300 kids that are going to make their way into our building each and every morning. Last week we started a summer sermon series on the parables. 
And last week we looked at uh, a short parable, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. This month, for the most part, we're in the book of Luke. We're going to be looking at a variety of parables. The month of July, for the most part, we're going to be in the, the book of Matthew. And I hope that as we publish this list and you see what's coming, one way you can really prepare for worship is to read the parable ahead of time. Now, I will tell you, some parables are easier to understand than others. The cool thing about the parable today is Jesus explains it. He tells us exactly why he told this story. Some of the parables, they're more of a head-scratcher, and you're not really sure what is he trying to say. What is the point or points that we should take from this parable? We're going to try to learn all summer long the different teachings that Jesus had. And the cool thing about the parables that we're going to look at, today we're talking about evangelism. Next week we're talking about uh, who is our neighbor. The week after that we're talking about money. The week after that we're talking about lost people. It is really going to be a blessed summer, and I hope that you will journey with us all the way through. The, the message today is entitled Planting 101, and it's kind of comical that I am the one sharing this message because when I went to Bible college in 1987, I need to confess to you, I knew nothing about farming. Even though I grew up in Champaign, I grew up around farming, I didn't realize that the beans that farmers grew weren't green beans. I thought they were green beans, to be honest with you. I didn't know that the corn that the farmers grew for the most part was not sweet corn. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed that I didn't do something stupid, just go steal some corn and try to boil it. I, I just, I was very ignorant when it came to farming, and I still am very ignorant when it comes to farming, but this much I know. There's a huge difference between 21st century farming in central Illinois. I've had experts tell me the most fertile soil in the world is right here in central Illinois, and first century agriculture in the Middle East. And so when Jesus shared this parable the people that were listening to this parable, they didn't think of huge tractors. They, they didn't envision John Deere combines. They didn't envision teams of farming crews going out and, and doing all the many things that our farmers and those that support the farming industry do today. Here's the vision that they probably had. One guy, a farmer, with a bag of seed slung over his shoulder, walking through a field that a lot of our farmers wouldn't even consider worthy of farming and just slinging seed. That's kind of the picture that they would have in mind. And so Jesus tells this parable, and that's the vision. I don't want you to see John Deere. I don't want you to see tractor and combine when we read this parable. I want you to see one guy with a bag of seed just kind of slinging it wherever it might go. So let's read God's Word together, Luke 8, beginning with verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more was sown. When he said this, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, and though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And so Jesus explains for us exactly what this story is all about. He tells us that the seed is the word of God. He tells us to sow means to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The word that we use around here would be the word evangelism, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The farmer represents followers of Christ. So all of us that are Christ followers, at least for this parable, we can call ourselves farmers. And then the soil represents the people hearing and or receiving the gospel. Now, the usual question of this parable I've heard many preachers, many teachers, probably a lot smarter than me, dive into the parable of the sower, and usually they want to get right down to this, where should we sow the seed? That's the question that they ask. Where should we sow the seed? I've heard great sermons and great lessons on, you've got to find the heart that's ready, and when you find the heart that's ready, take your Bible and smack them upside the head with Jesus, and they will become a follower of Christ. Where should we sow the seed? Maybe not exactly smack them upside the head, but you you get the point. I'm not exactly sure that's what Jesus intended when it came to this parable. I don't think that's the message that he has for you, whoever you are. If you're a brand new follower of Christ, or you've been in Christ all of your life, I'm not exactly sure that's the message that he has for you today. What I do find interesting is the four different categories that we see play out in this parable. I think it represents four different kinds of people that we encounter in our lives as Christ followers. The seed falling on the path, I believe this represents those who are indifferent or who are resistant to the truth. Have you ever met somebody, and man, from the beginning of that conversation, you just knew right away they had no time at all for you as a Christian. They just didn't want to hear it. I was in Chicago for a ministry conference a week ago with two other preacher friends, and and we were on the the CTA, the Green Line, and and one of my friends struck up a conversation with somebody else, and when he found out that we were preachers staying at Moody Bible Institute for a pastor's conference, uh, he just had nothing to do with us. He was just done, just shutting it down. I don't want to hear it. I'm all done. He's resistant to, to even hearing a conversation about Jesus. Some people are like that. The seed falling on the rock. I think that's the shallow who say, yeah, it sounds good. Go to heaven. Oh yeah, I'll do that. Be forgiven of my sins. Yeah, I'll do that. But then life's troubles. What did we call them last week? The storms of life visit. And the storms are just too powerful. And because there's no root, because they haven't built their house, built their house on the rock, they fall away. The seed falling on the thorns, I think this represents what I would call the distracted. The people that say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Yeah, I want to be a follower of Christ. Yeah, I want to have my sins forgiven. But then maybe something happens in their life that's really bad, or maybe something happens in their life that's really good, and it distracts them. See, a lot of people today, they put all of their hope and all of their trust in finding success in life, however you define that. And I'm all for success in life. I want us to be successful as followers of Christ. 
But trying to be successful in the world can keep you from being a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Some people, it's all about material possessions, the things that they have, the houses that they live in, the cars that they drive, the clothes that they wear. And I like houses. I'm glad I have one. I like cars. I'm glad I drive one. I, I like clothes. I'm glad I'm wearing some. And so are you, right? But if that's what's driving us, I've got to have a bigger house. I've always got to have a better car. I've always got to have newer and better clothes. It can distract us from being the follower of Christ that we're called to be. And then there's a fourth area that the seed fell in our parable, and that's seed falling on the good soil. And I think this represents, hopefully you, the responsive, who will live the truth. And then look at that last phrase, they'll reproduce. They won't be content to just say, yeah, I I revel in being a Christ follower. I'm excited about going to heaven. I'm excited about having my sins forgiven. They'll be that ambassador. That's what the Apostle Paul called it in 2 Corinthians. Be Christ's ambassador. They'll share the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the point of the parable, in my opinion, is not hurry out there and find the heart that's ready and then give them the gospel. Now, by all means, if you find somebody whose heart is ready, give them the gospel. But that's not what Jesus is trying to communicate here, I don't think. Go talk to 100 people, and maybe you'll find one whose heart is ready. That's not what he's saying. Here, here's the point of this parable, and it's really simple. So, 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 so. You're at the Little League baseball game, and you're striking up with a conversation with somebody. So, so. So, it's break time at work, and you're striking up a conversation. So, so, so. Wherever you go, look for opportunities to sow seed. And that leads me to the most important question of the morning, no pun intended. So, what? What's that got to do with us in 2013? And there's four things that I want you to take away from this. And don't be burdened down by this. Don't be afraid of this. Anytime you throw that word evangelism out, some people get really nervous. Don't be nervous today. Lesson number one is this. You are not called to force conversions on others, but you are called to sow seed. You are not called to make people become followers of Christ. Because you know what? It's really not about you. It's really not. I I could share 15 illustrations this morning of people that had every reason in the world for years to, to make a decision for Jesus Christ, and they just never did. And then one little thing happened, and boom, I want to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to repent. I'm going to confess. I'm going to be baptized. People look back, you heard this sermon, you went to this retreat, you had this relationship, and then this one little thing sparked it? What's the deal? Well, it's a God thing. That's the deal. It's a God thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul kind of explains this to us. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And in that formula, that should be very encouraging to you. Paul didn't say, I made it grow. Paul didn't say, Apollos made it grow. Paul said, I planted seeds. And then this guy, Apollos, came along, and then he watered the seeds. But ultimately, it was a God thing. Ultimately, God made it grow. So that person in your life right now that you've been trying to influence, and you can't understand why they won't make a decision for Jesus Christ, and you're getting frustrated, don't be frustrated. Keep sowing seed. Don't be frustrated. Keep praying prayers. Don't be frustrated. Keep the conversations going because it ultimately is 
a God thing. Now, I'm going to throw this in here. It's going to sound like I'm giving someone somewhere a spiritual spanking. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular when I say this, but I will say that if you have people in your life, especially family that you're very close with, that don't know Jesus, and you want to influence them for Jesus, how you talk about the faith, how you talk about other Christians, how you talk about your church can do an incredible amount of good, and it can do an incredible amount of damage. If you're always negative, if you're always bashing other Christians, if you're always down on your church, if you always have a negative word, let me tell you what that person's thinking, whoever they are. They're thinking if it's that bad, why would I want to be a part of that? So just, that's just a little FYI. That's not even in the sermon notes. That was kind of a Holy Spirit thing that hit me this morning during first service. It's free. J- just keep that in mind. The words that you speak, the attitudes that you have, they influence one way or the other. Number two, you're not called to memorize the Bible, but you are called to be able to share the plan of salvation with others. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, here's my scriptural basis for this. Peter, at the end of his life, in 1 Peter 3, says, we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I know for some of you right there, I've lost you, because you're saying, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I'm not able to memorize, I could never share the plan of salvation. And my answer to you is, yes, you can. I'm going to give you three plans. We have these published. They're available if you'd like a copy of it. I use the Roman road. When little kids in our church come and say, I think I want to be a Christian, I take them through the Roman road. When adults come to me and say, I think I want to be a Christian, I take them through the Roman road. There are the six scriptures up there on the the screen. And some of you that are going to try to jot them down, it's going to be a lost cause. It's not going to be up there long enough. But I promise you, I have it for you. If you want it, let me know. It goes all the way from Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, to the grace of God, to God's unconditional love, to the power of belief and confession, to the power of baptism. You're going to hear Romans 6 read by Marcia a little bit later in our service to Romans 12, 1 and 2. New life in Jesus Christ. Some people use A, B, C, D to Jesus. Bob Russell, the famous preacher, created this. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. C, confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And D, demonstrate your faith through repentance and baptism. And again, we have that published if you'd like a copy of that. I would be remiss this morning if I didn't share one of the forefathers of this very movement, the Restoration Movement. Walter Scott came up with the five-finger exercise. He said, how do you want to be a Christian? Here's what you do. You believe and you repent and you confess and you be baptized and you live the Christian life. Now, at this point, a lot of times people will say, well, that's great. I can do that five-finger exercise thing. I've got that down. But what happens when somebody asks me a question that I can't answer? And that's a great question, and I've got a great response for you. Here's what you say to them if you don't know what the answer is. You say, I don't know what the answer is. Just, in fact, say that with me. Let's do that together. I don't know what the answer is. One more time. I don't know what the answer is. But you know what? You go and you find the answer. Call me. Call one of your leaders. Call one of your ministers. Call, call a brother or sister in Christ. I tell people all the time that, that they ask questions that I have no idea what the answer is. But I always go and try to find the answer. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible. But you ought to be able to say, you want to be a Christian? You believe, you repent, you confess, be baptized, live 
the Christian life. Number three, lesson three, you're not called to be successful, but you are called to be faithful. And this is where a lot of people really get off kilter when it comes to evangelism, is they share their faith. They know the plan of salvation. They memorize the Roman road, and they talk to people in their life that they love with with incredible passion, and it just doesn't happen. They don't become a Christian. They're not even interested in even knowing anymore. That's just kind of it in many ways. And they walk away and they say, I was a failure. And no, they were not a failure. Um, I I remember when my brother-in-law had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to make a decision for Christ and didn't for whatever reason. And then like nine years ago, we got the call. Brad's getting baptized today. He's made a decision to be a follower of Christ. And it's because that for years, his mom and dad and his sister and relatives and friends and preachers were praying for him and encouraging him. And something happened and his heart was opened. You may never yourself lead someone to Jesus Christ and you could still be an incredible ambassador on Christ's behalf. You're not called to be successful. You're called to be faithful. Um, The Apostle Paul's greatest sermon, in my opinion, he ever preached was in Acts chapter 17. He went to Athens, the intellectual capital of the first century world. That's where the really smart people hung out. And he went and hung out with the smartest of the smart at a place called the Areopagus. And these are people that were idol worshipers. They believed in multiple gods. They had no time at all for the resurrection. They weren't buying Jesus at all. And if you read Acts 17, I think it's like verses 22 to 31 or 32, it's like the greatest sermon in the New Testament that Jesus didn't preach, in my opinion. I I love it. I read that sermon, and I'm ready to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. And look at what verse 34 tells us was the result of that. It says, just a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Just a few. Just a couple. I'm telling you, if 3,000 people responded to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, that, that should have been the entire city of Athens responding, but just a few responded and believed. But Paul didn't leave that day feeling like a failure. I guarantee you, he walked away that day saying, praise Jesus, that the few came to know him. You're not called to be successful, you're called to be faithful. And then finally, number four, FCC, we're not called to create club members or pew sitters or occasional attendees, but we are called to make disciples. One of the reasons, and I didn't really get to expound upon it the last two weeks, but one of the things that I love about this parable is Jesus explains why he talked in parables. And he quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and, and, and he basically says, you know, I'm not really impressed with people that say they're really religious. I'm not impressed with people who just by their birthright have been around religion a long time. I want people who want to get it. I want people whose heart is in the right place. And I would tell you, if, if we make the gospel, if we make being a follower of Christ so easy that you don't have to change at all, just come on in, get baptized, do whatever you're going to do. And, you know, if you still want to live that life, live that life. If you still want to, to go down that road, go down that road. We have cheapened the gospel. The reality is that when Paul saw the light literally on the road to Damascus, man, he was changed forever. Peter, James, John, Andrew, the disciples, when they made that decision to follow Christ, they were changed forever. And hopefully, when you made that decision to be a follower of Christ, you were changed 
forever. And just a word for you, if you're not a follower of Christ, I don't want you to make it just so we can put one more statistic in the newsletter. I don't want you to come forward just so someone will feel good about you. I want you to say, here I am. I want to be a follower of Christ because you want to live for him the rest of your life. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what's the point? What's the bottom line? Here it is. Wherever you go, whoever you know, your call is simple. So, so, so. Trust God and spread the gospel. Spread the gospel and trust God. And that, my friends, is planting 101 Jesus style. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you just so much for the difference that you make in our lives. And I just pray that we would have just a heart, Father, to, to share the difference that being a Christ follower has made for us. And that you give us opportunities this week, maybe even today, to be that beacon of light to people that, that don't have the hope that we do. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is invitation time, as it is every Sunday here at FCC. And we're going to do a little different this week. There's not going to be words on the screen. Forgiven is going to play a very, very appropriate song. And I'm just going to ask you to stay seated, if that's okay, Marsh. I'm just going to have you stay seated this morning. And as you do that, if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, I, I want you to come forward. But I would just pray that for most of us, maybe during this time as Forgiven sings this song, maybe we'll think of that one person in our life that we have an opportunity to impact in a mighty and powerful way with the good news of Jesus Christ. Forgiven, lead us, please.